Hey everyone! Today on What's My Frame we have a very special episode. Last week we tried our best to cover Jane's incredible career, but an hour simply wasn't enough. Thankfully for us, Jane agreed to join me for a second conversation. Today on the show we talk about Mystic Pizza and how Jane gave Matt Damon, you know him, his first IMDb credit, her perspective on the new challenges facing casting in 2020 and beyond, as well as what director she'd come out of retirement for. Please join me again in welcoming Jane Jenkins to the show. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with me a second time. Not a problem. It's not like I'm so busy. (laughs) (laughs) But still, I appreciate it nonetheless. You are a known advocate for actors. Your book, A Star is Found, is incredible and personally I feel like belongs on every actor's bookshelf. Um, We're in very uncertain times in the industry. Many actors are struggling to stay motivated, keep their craft sharp in this extended holding pattern we've been in for, gosh, like five months now. Do you have any homework, if you will, for actors to keep themselves challenged, motivated, creating in this uncertain time? Yeah, you know, I think that actors have to practice. <clears throat> if you are were a violinist, you would be practicing every day. If you're a ballerina, you practice your tours, your tays. And acting is the only creative discipline that is very difficult to do in a room by yourself, like painting or the cello or whatever. Um, but you have to find a way because the more you do it, the easier the more facile you get. So whether it is just reading out loud and making instant, you know, I listen to um, audiobooks a lot and so much of the enjoyment of the book depends on the reader. Mm. And there are people who bring the words to life and there are people that just read very, you know, like in a monotone, you know, like it's a, a, you know, they're reading the, the, the laundry list or something. And I think just sitting in your own house, reading out loud, um, and, and bringing a character to life will be helpful. You know, and we live in this extraordinary age of Zoom. Didn't they invent this just in the nick of time? Um, I mean, I, I was Zooming occasionally about a year ago, but not, you know, I'm on Zoom practically every single day. So hook up with a couple of friends, figure out a script and everybody take a part. Yeah. You just have to keep doing it. It keeps everything, keeps the, 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 the gears greased. Yeah, I think that's so important because it was just like we were talking about the other day of, you know, there's these Zoom plays and even Zoom theater companies that are starting up. Mm-hmm. I think right now is the time to just take the wild and wonky ideas and reach out to your acting class and see. Yeah, who's absolutely. Now, you've had the opportunity to work through a number of changes in the casting process. Just like you mentioned, when you started, you were traveling to New York to cast from LA, things like that. You've worked through VHS, pre-email, and thrived. It was even around for Betamax. (laughs) (laughs) You were back in the days of faxing the whole thing, Xeroxes. Um, Now, so many actors are anxious about new Hollywood, virtual auditions and callbacks, losing that energy, if you will, in the room. Um, you've been teaching a lot more on Zoom now, and I was hoping you might be willing to share some perspective that this is simply yet another change in the casting process. Um, I just think it's... I, I, I think so. I think it is just another change. You know, it constantly evolves yeah. as, as it should. Yeah. Um, 
the essential, the essence of casting is still exactly the same. Somebody reads for a part, somebody does it really well, somebody gets a job. You know, that's the, it, so it doesn't really make any difference whether it's, I do prefer, I liked meeting actors in person because you get to know something about them. If they're not exactly right for the part that they came in to read for, but there's some spark there, then you have an opportunity to say, you know, there's another part that you might be really right for. Yeah. But that uh, isn't going to happen for a while. But I do think I've, I've cast many actors from uh, a, a self-tape. Yeah. Uh, I have not cast anybody from Zoom because I'm not casting. But I have uh, a couple of casting director friends who have, and it works. You know, a, a friend of mine has been working on an independent um, something. I'm not sure what it is that they're actually shooting. I think it's a pilot an independent pilot that they're trying to sell. They're, they're shooting right now. She said everybody is at a hotel where their temperature is taken a couple of times a day. Everybody, the craft service person says, what would you like? They deliver it to you. You're not allowed to touch anything at craft. I mean, it's all done under the sanction of, of SAG and it's working out. So, and she auditioned people on Zoom. She first saw she first she saw um, a, a self tape and then she met somebody on, on Zoom and and her director took a look and people are now somewhere shooting a movie, so it's all possible. It in essence it boils down to what's projected. So whether it's in person or on video, which is eventually how we're going to see you. I mean, this format is the final. This is how we're going to see you eventually. Yeah. So I say, take the words, put yourself in the movie. Mm. It's not just an audition. It's so many other things. It's an introduction to the casting director to get to know you for future work. If, if I'm not right for this, how about remembering me for something down the line? That's the attitude that I think you have to have. And just go for it. Be, you know, I, I, I got very involved in watching uh, the John Lewis funeral the other day. And there was a line that somebody said that I thought really was applicable to life and especially to acting. When you lose the fear, you gain the freedom. That is all an actor can do. Stop the timidity. You, you became an actor, I suppose, to express some form of humanity. Let it all go and do it. Just let it fly. That's what I'm always looking for. I'm looking for the people who can fly. Now, I'm sure you have seen confidence, nerves, and everything in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I contained my curiosity to ask for like the audition horror story. <laughs> So we're clear, I retained myself. Um, but if you could share a small piece of advice with actors on auditioning specifically, what would it be? And you kind of talked about that a little bit, just. Well, I, you know, it's very hard. It's very hard to do, but I always say to actors, just forget about this being a job. It's just an, it's an opportunity to act and think of it as not, you know, we ascribe such, um, 
an outcome and a value to the audition. If I get this job, I can make the car payment, I can buy the whatever, I can, you know, it's so we, we come in with exactly what you don't want as an actor. You come walk in with, with a result in mind. That's never good in acting and it's never good really in life. You can't plan the result. The only thing and I think that that anxiety of what could possibly be at the end of the audition is what drives actors crazy and into insecurity and the, the trepidation and the anxiety and the heart palpitation and the saliva evaporating from your mouth. Of course, you can't possibly be the best actor that you are. You can't because so there's so much going on just physiologically with you <laughs> you can't possibly concentrate let alone remember who's in the room i mean i just walk out of the room and it's like they just got hit by a mac truck and they're in a state of shock they don't know who was in the room i don't know there were people in the room that were, you know it's give it up because more than if you come in thinking there's a one in God knows how many, you know, I'm going to see 30, 35, 50 people for every single part. So there's a one in 35 chance that I'm the one that's going to get this job. Well, maybe, maybe not. But there's a really good chance that if I'm who I am, if I'm, I hate that word actually, but if you are an authentic you and interesting and charming and are breathing, that people will remember you. Yeah. First, you have to be able to breathe. So I think, and I know that that's hard. I, you know, God knows I've gotten anxious any number of occasions myself. And then I go, what, what am I doing? It's, I'll either get the, you know, because I think I mentioned last time, you know, casting directors have to audition for the job as well as the actors. So if you're going in and meeting with some hotshot big time director, you go, okay, this is, you know, I would love to get this job. So yeah my heart rate goes up a little bit but then i go and if i don't get this job will it be the end of my life no it never is the end of anything so you have to you just have to find a way whether it's you know meditating whether it's deep breathing i don't you know there's a lot of ways to get yourself into a state of calm but unless you can walk into the office and that's what adds to the level of confidence um which is very attractive. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you were saying there just because it, it's so true. If it's not this role, it's going to be something else. And I think that's something that I've learned just repeatedly from all different areas of the industry on the podcast. As long as you keep showing up, the opportunity will present itself that's going to then take you to the next job, to the next job, the people that you're going to meet. You just got to keep showing up and right. take some of that weight off of yourself of this one has to be the job. And the lighter you are about it, the looser you are about it, the more it will come to you. Now, for all of our content creators and multi-hyphenates that are listening, do you have any advice for those that are casting their own work? Anything from suggestions on how to pick sides to um, some actors, it blows my mind, they still haven't read against another actor in that audition style process. They've only read with like, one actor that's like auditioning. Hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's a conundrum in a way. Um, I think that when you're trying to, so this is, you're talking about people who have created their own script. Yeah. 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 Because I think 
but there's going to be a lot of that, um, just like web series and personal like short films mm -hmm. and content creators are going to bloom even more than they have already because it's going to be smaller, you know, more close knit. Well, I think that you have to go about it the same way we go about it. You know, you're going to put an ad out in back backstage or you're going to put the word out among your actor friends. And it doesn't mean that every single actor friend of yours is going to be the perfect person. I have a lot of actor friends who I would have loved to have been able to give jobs to along the way. And any number of them I did because they came in and they auditioned. I wasn't in a position where I could just dole out the jobs to the actors who were friends or that I really liked a lot. So, but I was in a position to have people come in to audition. Um, and I think that you have to approach it in the same kind of professional way. If this is a project that you're trying to put together that will hopefully uh, move your career along, uh, let alone perhaps change your life, then you have to approach it in the same kind of professional way. And you put that information out, whether it's on backstage or among a group of friends, or you send it to, um, well, nobody's in school, I was going to say, to the AFI or to uh, UCLA to attract actors. But there, there is certainly a way. And then you Zoom with everybody. And the people that come in, you know, actors have asked me over the years if um, they could come in and read for, you know, be a reader for me. And I've never done that because um, I, I prefer reading with actors, but I think that there are plenty of casting directors that do have actors come in and be readers for them. And I think it's invaluable because you get to see all the mistakes that the nerves bring, the lack of preparation bring. So you have to approach it the same way you approach your very own audition, you know, with the same kind of preparation and professionalism. Yeah. I wish that there were more opportunities for actors to still read in the office because those those rules have changed so much and there's so few of those opportunities. But I know for myself, I learned so much about auditioning from watching other people audition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you really, you have to be in the room to like witness. Um, or at the other end of the Zoom. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> the other end of the Zoom. Uh, which I think we're all like learning to stay more alert in the chair. I mean, every well, actor. It becomes alert. very important. I'm not particularly well framed, although we're not on Zoom. Nobody's going to see me because I hope not. I didn't even put a drop of makeup on. But I mean, at just, you know, just in these classes that I'm doing, I say to people, look at what you look like on the screen. You know, last week there was a class at Monitor was tilted back. So what I got was a shot up somebody's nose practically. And there was a ceiling fan that looked like it was a beanie coming out of his head. And I said, you can't do a self tape with a, a fan rotating over your head. It's so distracting. So you have to light the, you have to light yourself. You have to think about how this is going to look in the final analysis. And I always say, think that you already think you have this job. This is your, this audition is, is the job for you. Yeah. Be in, be in the movie, be the best possible character in the movie. Take ownership of it and do the, you have to do, yes, you have to do your own lighting, you have to do your own framing, you have to do it all. So you become a bit of a filmmaker but really think about how this looks and how it's going to come over. Yeah, but none of that is ever a waste of time. I think everything that you learn, it just elevates all future self-tapes or Absolutely. auditions. It all, it all elevates it. 
Um, now, I would love to talk about one of your RDS-nominated projects, Mystic Pizza, for which you gave Matt Damon his very first IMDb credit. <laughs> what was the casting story behind such a timeless movie about love and family, and also Julia Roberts, Annabeth Gish, and Lily Taylor's relationships as sisters is pure perfection. Just it was a pretty good cast. Um, I don't know if the movie holds up. I haven't seen it in a really long time. But, you know, I had, um, it, it's interesting, I had met Julia uh, almost a year before we did Mystic Pizza. I was casting something for Ron Howard called Willow. Mm -hmm. And Julia was a pretty new actress. She had done, uh, I think she had done a Miami Vice, and she had done a, a movie that uh, her brother Eric was the star of called blood and wine or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, I met her. I knew I was very good friends with her agent who was carrying on about this terrific young girl. You have to meet her. You have to know her, blah, blah, blah. So she came in and she read for the part of Sorsha in Willow. And I liked her, but she was heading back to New York and I needed to videotape her because Ron lives in New York. And I, I mean, I've been videotaping actors for a, a zillion years, especially working for him, and would always send him, even when it was those big, not the VHSs, but those three quarter inch tapes, we used to do those too. Um, so she was supposed to come back, so the only day she could come back was on a Saturday, and I said, that's fine, I can, you know, spend an hour on Saturday, and then I can do my grocery shopping and live my life. And so Janet's husband, Michael, ran our camera for us and did all that kind of stuff. So the two of us were there waiting for Julia and waiting and waiting and waiting and Julia doesn't show up. And finally her agent calls me and says, I'm really sorry, but her car broke down, blah, blah, whatever. She couldn't get there and she's leaving for New York and that's it. I said, okay, that's it. And so a year later when I am in New York, she calls me up again and says, don't you think Julia would be really good for this Daisy part? And I went, if she can get to my office. So she came in and I have to say, and she used to tell this story herself and she was really ill-prepared. And I could see, she was like one of the last people that I was seeing after a long and exhausting day. And I said to her, I looked at her, I said, Julia, did you really read the script? And she said, well, I didn't get it until 11 o'clock last night. So I said, so you just went my part, my part, my part. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And you don't know who the people are. You don't know what the relationship is between you and these other girls, one of whom happens to be your sister. I mean, she said, oh, she's my sister. I, you know, whatever. She just didn't really, she just looked at her lines. I said, I think you could be really right for this. And I'm really tired and don't have the, time, the energy to explain it all to you. So do me a favor and go home and come back tomorrow and really read all of the lines of everybody else too, so that you know who this is and what's going on. And I have to say, she came back the next day. She was also, when she came in the first time, she was wearing this big, you know, over, over the top uh, man's shirt so that you couldn't see her body at all. And I said, you know, this, everything else about Daisy is that she is a man magnet. If there is a guy around, she knows it. She, she doesn't own that shirt. And she said, really? I said, no, she probably wears tank tops and miniskirts. That's what she, that's what she comes in. And, and the next day she came in wearing a tank top and a miniskirt. She put um, a temporary, like a chocolate mousse coloring in her hair so that she, I mean, she took the trouble to 
look up what Portuguese people were, the whole what goes on in Mystic. And she came in like a working class Portuguese girl who, you know, had her eye on a bigger prize. And she knocked it out of the park. And so when I brought her in for Donald Petrie, who was directing, he said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> And, there, and, and that's how it went with the rest of the cast. You know, I have to say, Vincent D'Onofrio came in. I mean, he was still, a, you know, a, he, he had done some stuff, but he was still a fairly new young actor. And Adam Stork. Um, and they were all absolutely fabulous. And then we went to Boston. To, so we only cast all of the principals out of New York. And then I went to Boston. Um, to cast and worked with a fabulous uh, casting director named Caroline Pickman, who knew Matt and, and Ben, both of them came into audition uh, for the part, but Matt looked exactly like Adam Stork, who we had already cast as, as the rich boy. And I went, wow, they could really be brothers. And so he got the part because A, his reading was good, and B, they really did look like they belonged in the same family. And that's how <laughs> that's how uh, Matt Damon got his first SAG card part. So, but he had been studying acting um, in, in Boston and was sort of beginning to you know doing some small theater things. Yeah, I've even heard Matt Damon tell the story of coming in and auditioning for Mystic Pizza on another podcast off camera with Sam Jones, and it's like it's just incredible to hear how he and been and how they started up in their like shared checking account. It was, it was it was something that I had just very much wanted to talk to you about it to hear from the casting perspective. Well, everybody, you know, that's that's the thing that everybody has to remember. You know, everybody has to start out auditioning someplace. Whether it's you know, I cannot tell you how many times George Clooney came in to audition for any number of Janet and I always loved George. And for whatever reason, he came in to read for this, that, and the next thing, never got the job. Never got the job. We kept bringing him in for things, or, or Brad Pitt, or, or Philip Seymour Hoffman, or, I mean, so many fabulous actors that you couldn't deny that they were fabulous. Yeah. For whatever reason, the director just didn't think that they were the right person for that. You know, it's... It's like, you know, the Meg Ryan's story. She, that was extraordinary just because we kept bringing her in and bringing her in and brought her in for Rob and the third time was the charm. But everybody acknowledged that she was terrific the first time, but he didn't feel that she was right. Yeah. So, you know, my feeling is if it were, if it weren't, if Meg didn't get into when Harry met Sally, it would have been something else. Mm -hmm. It was clear to me that you know, that, that, I don't know, that je ne sais quoi of an actor becoming a star is indescribable because it takes that serendipitous moment of the right actor in the right part in the right movie and boom, oh, they're an overnight success, but nobody is an overnight mm -hmm. success. It just does not happen like that. Mm -hmm. It's usually, 10 years before somebody is an overnight success. And even if it's not 10 years, it's audition after audition, after not getting a job, after not getting a job. But people remember you 
because you were interesting, if not the right person. So it's never about being the best auditioner. It's about being the rightest actor for that part in, in, under all of those circumstances. I mean, in all honesty, Ben gave an awfully good audition as well. However, he looked nothing like Adam Stork. So it could have been Ben's first IMDb credit, or, you know, or, you know, I also gave, I think, uh, Scarlett Johansson her first IMDb credit in a little tiny part in a movie that Rob did called North, because I saw these, a bunch of kids in New York and this, I think she was 10, this 10-year-old kid walked in, she was adorable, she said the lines really great, I mean, you know, it just, she was the right kid and she fit into the family. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to describe. And yeah, and then she went on because she was ex exceptionally talented and had, has had a, a pretty phenomenal career. <laughs> yeah. Now I want to go back for a second, just like you mentioned that you all brought in George Clooney countless times. And I'm sure you've heard this as well. Sometimes actors have this tendency to complain. If they've come in and auditioned a few times and they haven't gotten a part from that office, they get disgruntled. Yeah, but they're coming in for different parts and different projects. It's not, I keep bringing them back because I like them a lot. Thank you. That's what I wanted. I mean, it, it blows my mind when I hear it. Like, it has nothing to do with the, the casting office that keeps bringing you back brings you back because they like you. And this week they're working, especially if it's television, you know, they're working on a different project with a different director, different producers who are not as familiar with your work. Yeah, exactly. Wait, that's all. I just, I just, <laughs> you just needed to the voice of reason to reiterate and be like, no, no, this is a good thing. It's an excellent thing. We should all be thrilled to be called back over and over again to the same office. Yeah. Now, you and your work have inspired truly countless creatives. What inspires you? I've inspired countless creatives. I don't know if I've inspired, but um, I hope so. I don't know. What inspires me is uh, I love this business. I love movies. I love television. I've just started watching um, a Spanish-speaking series on, uh, on Netflix, and I'm just so enamored of the work that's done or, you know, I just watched Mrs. Uh, America a couple of uh, weeks ago on, on one of the cable things. I'm going, these women are phenomenal. That's what inspires me. I mean, I just love the, an actor's ability, not just the actors, because it starts, it really does start with the script. It starts with the word. Um, to to take a, a script and really invest yourself in the life that somebody created and and, and make it extraordinary. So that's what is, in, inspires me. I've had an extraordinarily lucky career in that very early on, Janet and I managed to hook up with very talented people who were at the beginning, you know, Ron was at the beginning of his career, Rob Reiner was at the beginning of his career. They had all, they I mean, they'd both been acting, of course, or, or, or Chris Columbus, who had been a writer and then branched out into directing, who Janet has, you know, worked with to the same extent that I've worked with, with Ron or Rob. And they were all sort of menschy people, not, you know, not glitzy 
I've never worked with the glitzy Hollywood types. You know, they've all been, I mean, the majority of, of the people that I've worked with are very down to earth, menschy real people who, you know, are in the same business because they love it as I am. And it's always been about the work. And, you know, not every, God knows, not every film that is on my resume is an extraordinary Academy Award winning movie. Some of them are like, eh, not so hot. But you put the same effort into every single movie feeling that it has that possible, and for whatever reason, some of them sing and some of them are a little off key. But, you know, it's, um, that's what really inspires me. I, every time I've started a, a, you know, read a script and gotten the job and go to the screening, it's a thrill. Yeah. It's a constant thrill. Even the ones that I go, oh, that wasn't so terrific, but... And there have been those movies that were less than I had hoped, but I'm still really happy with, you know, the people that I've cast in them. If whatever, if the script got a little muddled along the way or whatever it is, I, I don't think that I've ever felt that I've cast a film that I go, what were we all thinking? I've, I don't think I've ever felt that way about a cast that I've helped put together. Yeah. I'm sure it must be hard being that you were in such the early stages of production to cast and then let go and then see what the it's final- Very strange. Sometimes you, when you finally get to the final screening and there are scenes that you've read that you've used for auditioning people with and you've read them over and you go, wait a second, where, what happened to that scene that I read 9,000 times? And for whatever reason, it was left on the cutting room floor. So there is, you know, there's always an adjustment when you see um, an early cut of the movie and sometimes it doesn't have all the music and has, you know, temp special effects and all that. I, f I always find it very hard to watch that first early screening. And then you go see the finished product and you go, oh yeah, that's what it should be. <laughs> so I'd never make it as an editor. <laughs> no. God bless them. That is, that is a hard job. Now, you have worked closely with some iconic directors like Rob Reiner and Ron Howard. We keep bringing you back for an encore. You've done 18 films, if I count it correctly, with Rob alone. Um, are there any directors that you would still love to work with if the opportunity presented itself? As in new directors? Oh, any, any type of directors. I've been pretty lucky. You know, we've, we've worked with Steven Spielberg and with Wolfgang Peterson. I don't know, I suppose there are, I just, um, off the top of my head, I'm happy with the directors that I've gotten to work with. I feel, I feel really very privileged that, you know, we've, we've worked with Francis Coppola, who is an extraordinary person to, to work with. Mm -hmm. I'd like to work with Francis again. Yeah. Actually, if, if Francis is listening to this, I send just like, uh, like, you know, if Francis, if you're listening, <laughs> And we decide to do a movie again. Even though I've said I'm retired, I would definitely work with Francis again. For certain people, you come out of retirement. That, that's good to know. Um, now, I have to ask, because it's still on my mind, where you, you mentioned that Julia came in the first time for Mystic Pizza, and she wasn't that prepared. There are some people, you just, it's hard to describe, but you just sort of have an instinct about who they are. And I liked her. I liked everything about her. And... 
thought that it was, and I felt intuitively that her look, her quality, that, and I was having a very hard time finding the right essence for this Daisy part, because Daisy was a girl that I kept saying, you know, Daisy's a girl who can go out and drink a beer and belch with her girlfriends. But the minute she knows there's a guy around her antenna go up and there's a whole other person. Yeah. And I was looking for somebody who had that kind of sensuality. And, um, and because I was auditioning sort of young women who were 18, 19, 20 years old, they didn't all have that same thing. And I just intuitively felt that she was really right for the part and felt that it was worth her going home and really reading. You know, when I, when I talk to actors and they ask me what's, what annoys me most about actors coming in, I say it's the lack of preparation. There are no, you know, as William Shakespeare said, there are no small parts there and there truly are no small parts. I mean, one of, one of my, um, great moments was Janet and I cast be between the two of us. I think we did about 14 films for John Hughes that he either wrote or directed or produced or all three on. And he said to us once that he said, I love working with you guys because even the pizza guy is great. And that to me is the greatest compliment. I would hope that even the pizza guy someday has the ability to go on and become the star of another movie. That's, I'm always looking to cast, even in those little parts, people who have a real future in this business. And, you know, just like many, 150 years ago, um, this young actor came in and he had just graduated from uh, school. And I wound up giving him a small part in a little movie that nobody's ever heard of called Tag, The Assassination Game. I just really loved this kid, and his name is Forrest Whitaker. And I'll bet you he doesn't even remember where he got that first SAG job from. But, you know, that's literally, that is, he's the prime example of give somebody a small part, give them that opportunity, and not that you can give everybody a job and, a, you know, it's tricky sometimes to give them that first part if they don't already have the SAG card. But for whatever reason, I did give him the part and wrote a letter to uh, to Taft Hartley him. Um, and I just felt that there was something unique about, you know, I'm not always looking for somebody who's going to be Cary Grant, although George Clooney could have done that. But um, I'm looking for somebody who's going to have an interesting, the possibility of an interesting and rich career. Oh, I hate that our time has come to a close. <laughs> we'll have to just stop meeting like this, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, don't tempt me. I'll find questions for part three somewhere. I'll come up with them. All right, last question. What is one thing you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? To not be afraid. I was terrified. You know, I remember vividly. This is actually a very funny story. Right after I graduated from the high school performing arts, uh, one of my classmates was a, a, a girl named Janet Margolin, who went on to do a movie called David and Lisa. And I, it's like, but her family was in the business or they knew people and she had an agent. I didn't have an agent. I didn't know anybody. I mean, it was like, and a friend of mine 
was doing a, a, a Shakespeare in the Park play with Colleen Dewhurst, who was married to Georgia Scott at the time. And he gave me their home phone number. And George, George Scott had a t television series called uh, East Side, West Side. And from a phone booth in the middle of Manhattan, <laughs> I called George C. Scott up at home and said, hi, Mr. Scott, um, my name is Jane Shabak, that was my name, and uh, you don't know who I am, but I'm a very talented actress, and I think that I would be really good on your show, but I don't have an age, and he said, how did you get my phone? I said, well, I can't tell you that, and he, we wound up talking, and he wound up arranging for me to meet the casting director on that show. It was extraordinary. And I went in to meet Renee Valente, I believe. And literally, I know exactly how actors feel because all I could hardly talk. I had like a bowl of cotton in my mouth. I had no saliva. I could hardly swallow. I was sure that my heart was beating so hard that it could be seen under my shirt. And then when I sat down at her desk, I literally held on to my knees for dear life because they were trembling so much. As it happened, the show was canceled and there was never an opportunity for her to decide not to bring me in to audition because there was no show to audition before. And when I think, and I frequently tell actors this story, I say, so do you think I made a good impression? Do you think that as you know, an 18-year-old wannabe actress having this extraordinary opportunity that George C. Scott, the star of the show himself, called her, that I made use of it, that I impressed her in any way? No, I totally blew it. So my now self who talks about letting go of the fear to find freedom would say, don't be so afraid. But, you know, I thought my whole life could change if I met her and, you know, whatever. But it didn't. It didn't do anything. Except it did teach me a really valuable lesson. And it's one of the reasons that I am as sympathetic as I am toward actors and am usually willing to give most people a second run at something. Oh, I feel for you. <laughs> We've all had those auditions where we just blacked out. <laughs> It was, I was just, I didn't black out. I remember, I remember it vividly. I wasn't blacked out. I remember clutching my knees for dear life. It's a miracle I didn't make black and blue marks. I mean, it was just, you know, I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. And I, because I certainly didn't understand. It was just a meeting. There was no audition. All I had to do was talk about having gone to the high school performing arts and I knew that, you know, whatever. Or the thing that I'd seen last on Broadway because I went to the theater all the time. I mean, I just needed to have a conversation like a sane human being. <laughs> you think it was because there was so much weight on it because someone had called in a favor? Was that the first experience you had had with someone? Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. Their name on the line for you, yeah. I think I was already taking, I was out of performing arts and I think I was already taking classes uh, at HB with, uh, I must have been because the actor who was working in the park with Colleen Dewhurst was in a, was in a, my musical comedy class with Charles Nelson Riley, so. <laughs> yeah, 
Jane, if someone wants to learn more about you or to possibly be in one of your Zoom classes, where can we find out more about that? And if there's, there's Zoom classes I'm doing through a group in New York called the Acting and Voice Studios. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they run the, the whole show. They, they, you know, it was funny. They asked me, they, were, they have a studio in New York, this young acting couple have a studio in New York and they've been very successful. And last February, that seems like a lifetime ago, um, they sent me an email and they were planning on opening a, a studio in LA and asked me if I would come in and teach a class. And, you know, I've done a lot of these workshop things where you do one class. And then they went back to New York and the world fell apart. And so they sent me another email saying, would you be willing to do um, like a four week intensive on Zoom? And I went, four weeks? Oh, yeah, okay, that could be interesting. Because I always feel that when you're doing these one-time workshop things, mm -hmm. you just begin to scratch the surface. Everybody does a scene, but there's really no time to really talk about what's going on. And so we did the first four week intensive and it was enormously successful. And sort of all of my old acting training kicked back into gear and remembering all those classes from performing arts and from Bill Hickey. And I think it's been, and we've been doing them every four weeks since. Wow. And it, it's, it, for me, it really gives me an opportunity to spend four weeks with, you know, there's usually 14 people in a class. So I have no, enough time for them to do a scene, to critique the scene, have them make adjustments and talk about why something works and why something doesn't work and what needs to be worked on. So it's been thoroughly enjoyable for me. And I feel that, you know, my perspective, I said, you know, when I went to the high school performing arts or in, 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 at Juilliard, nowhere, does anybody come in and talk to actors about being actually in show business, about how do you, everybody wants to know, how do you get an agent? Well, that's impossible, <laughs> except everybody does eventually get an agent. How do you get a SAG card? Well, that's also really impossible, but eventually, you know, there's almost 200,000 members of the Screen Actors Guild who somehow or another got a SAG card. So, you know, I think that there's valuable information for me as, as a former actor, hysterical auditioner, um, and, and a casting professional to share with people so that you can come into an office in a state of calm and confidence and know who you are and know what the part is. So it's been great. Amazing. And as far as, you know, I, the, my, my book is still available. You know, you can find it on Amazon. There's, it, it, the book was um, published in 2006. That's now a long time ago. But there are still copies out there, and I think that it does, um, you know, give some valuable information to actors. So it does, and some hilarious stories. Some pretty good stories. Some pretty good stories in there, yeah. Yeah. Jane, thank you so much for joining me both weeks. I cannot thank you. <laughs> it's, it's really been my pleasure. It's been a delight. And thanks for doing this. You know, I think it's really a service to actors to hear all of this from casting directors so that you begin to understand it's not all just about you and how we're all trying to put it together to make a, a, a movie or a television show or a play or whatever it is that we're doing and how you can fit yourself into that. Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. I, I believe that 
the, the most successful things that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of is everyone came to the table with a mindset of to be of service to the others and it wasn't about them and I think that makes such a difference and I think it's readable in the people's work and just the the positive memories you leave on people and I know myself I was I was very fortunate to come from a financial standpoint where I could do workshops but I know a lot of people either from location or finances yeah. they're not able to do you know these like one-off workshops you know I wanted to do something that kind of leveled the playing field, if you will, because you're exactly right. It's, there's so much that isn't shared for some reason that is kind of kept behind closed doors or it's yeah. only for those that are willing to like scratch and dig and search for it. Well, you have to, you know, you have to treat this as, it, I, I frequently say, it's called show business, but you don't get to do the show without the business. This is the bottom line. This is a business. People need to make money. The film needs to be successful. The TV show needs to be successful or else we don't get to do it again. And so you can't lose perspective and you have to treat it as any kind of business that you would be entering into. And you have to know, you know, I say to actors, who are the great actors that came before you? Do you know? I mean, I talk to young actors. They don't even know who Marlon Brando was. And I go, wait a second. How can you be in this business and not know who Marlon? I mean, when, when you think about it, Marlon Brando has been dead longer than some of the young actors that I talk to have been alive. They don't watch old movies. And I always say, you know, the AFI, not that is, it is a Bible, but the AFI publishes a list of 100 greatest movies. I've seen pretty much every single one of those 100 movies, and so should you. You should understand the business that you're in. Read biographies of, you know, writers, directors, actors who have made this business what it is so that you understand it isn't all just, you know, oh, aren't they lucky? No. No. It's all a lot of hard work. I could talk to you for hours, Jane. <laughs> okay, another time. Hi everyone, thanks for listening and to my incredible guest today, Jane Jenkins. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe and tell a friend. Our number one goal here at What's My Frame is to encourage, educate, and support our creative community. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Laura Linda Bradley, and this is What's My Frame.